Bye. Our Lord and Master, we thank you for tonight. So come for your holy word. We thank you that today as we sit down to bring down the word of life, may the word itself become life to us as it ministers to us. And we pray that may we experience faith through what we hear tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, all right. Good evening, guys. How's your Easter Monday? How's your week started? Amen. Many countries have Easter Monday as a bank holiday, except this Christian nation, anyway. But we are here. I hope your week has started on a good note, so let's dive into it. Today we are on our fifth installment on the book of Romans. And last week we looked at Paul's case for justification. Yes, that's rightly said. We realized that, um, no, Abraham, I'm sorry. Paul's case for justification by looking at Abraham as as his um, case in point. And uh, we realized that the father of Jews himself was declared righteous by faith, not by the law. Amen. And we realized that we are the seed of Abraham, not because we are Jews per se, but because we walk in the steps of the faith that Abraham had. And what, what is the, the step of faith that Abraham had? He believed God. That what God has said will come to pass. And the Bible says that it was credited to his account as righteousness. Today we want to look at the last 12 verses of this chapter. Now chapter 4 is basically in two parts. And it is in a form of questioning. And Paul trying to make a case for we are justified. With just, justified means you are declared righteous. We've been declared righteous by faith and not by the law. Decided to use Abraham as a case study. And he asked two questions. Was Abraham justified by faith or was he justified by the law? And the reason behind Paul's rationale was... Abraham was a very sacred, shall I even use the word deity, in front of the Jews. Very sacred. In fact, the Jews even didn't believe they would go to heaven. They believed they would go to a place in the afterlife called Abraham's bosom. So you see, so that's how revered they see Abraham. And Paul is like, because when Paul preached justification by faith, it was a very scandalous message. Can you imagine if Paul was preaching this during social media? Everybody will out him out as a false prophet. That's why sometimes don't trust social media's judgment of who a true man of God is. Because sometimes it might not be right. I can imagine if Paul was preaching in this climate, he would have been labeled a false prophet left, right, and center. False teacher. It's it's very offensive. Because even Jesus even never preached this. Jesus who claimed he was the son of God. He never even preached this. So what Paul was preaching, if it was like abomination, you know. And even Jesus, with even Jesus just came to minister parables. He didn't minister doctrine. And there's a reason why he did that. Right? So even Jesus, with just the little that he even shared, just he just cracked the seal a little bit in the new covenant. And 
they couldn't take it. Now, Paul is going full velocity with this message. It sounded very offensive, particularly to a creed who boasted in their status and in their race that we are the seed of Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham because we have the sign of the covenant, which is true circumcision. And therefore, you are declared righteous by keeping the righteous requirements of the law. Paul came and he changed everything. That is not the case. One does not become righteous by keeping the righteous requirements of the law. One becomes righteous through faith in Christ Jesus, which is the gospel. And now for them to even, now for Paul to even elevate Jesus as a deity to to the like standard of Abraham, that alone was even offensive to the Jews. Because when Jesus left, not many people still believed in him. In fact, if you look at the scriptures carefully, the people who had much faith in the gospel were Gentiles, not necessarily Jews. Because they did not really respect Jesus. They knew him after the manner of the flesh. So, Paul was like a heretic. And now, Paul, Paul is trying to say that, okay, I get it. Let's look at your father, Abraham. The ones that the Jews respected. The ones that the Jews believe in the afterlife. We will go to a place, not even heaven. We will go to Abraham's bosom. They believed in hell, correct, but they never believed in heaven. They believed in a place called Abraham's bosom. It's the best place, Father Abraham. Now, Paul, Paul is bringing their minds. Your father, was he justified by faith or was he justified by the law? So this is why Paul decided to teach what he's teaching to further strengthen his case on righteousness by faith. And then the second question is the promise that Abraham received. And we will look at the promise today. Was it, was it through the law or by faith? So, from verses 13 to 25, the last 12 verses is going to deal with that today. So, by the time we read it here, we'll, we'll know the answer. So, Romans chapter 4 is in two parts. The first 12 verses deals with, was Abraham justified by faith? Or was he justified by the law? We looked at that. Now, the last 12 we'll deal with. Was Abraham declared righteous? No, was, did Abraham receive the promise? And we'll look at the promise in question. By faith or through the law. Amen. So, we trust that it will be good. So, let's try and answer the second question by reading verses 13 to 15 of Romans chapter 4. For the promise that he will be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So right here, understand, Abraham had promises. If you read Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, you will see some promises. Okay? And, and, and God says that get out of your country, your father's house. Get out of your family and, and follow me. I'll show you a place 
you know not. And he gave him some blessings there. Then Genesis chapter 15, he gave him a promise. Okay, so there are two sets of promise. So when the Bible is talking about the promise, not promises, it's just one. And which one is he talking about? For us to understand this, let's read last week's scripture again for context. So go with me to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 to 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abram means exalted father. Then when he was called Abraham, it meant father of many nations. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So Abraham, so Paul is addressing the fact that the children became heirs of Abraham's prophetic promise by faith and not by the law. You see, the, the promise is just one. He will be the heir of the world. That's Genesis chapter 15. And what does it mean to be the heir of the world? That means through his seed, a nation will be formed that will inherit the earth. That's all. So you, you will inherit the world. That's why he's called the father of many nations. So two things we have to notice about the law in verse 15. One, it brings wrath. Number two, it brings transgression. So Paul is saying that you people are the seed of Abraham. You are part of his descendancy, not by law. It's because your father, your progenitor, believed in God by faith. And because of that, God accounted it to him for righteousness. And that is how you became the seed of Abraham. So if you became the seed of Abraham through one man's faith, who are you to disqualify, quote-unquote, Gentiles and other nations from experiencing the gospel, which is called good news? Why will you still want them to go through the manner of circumcision before they can experience the gospel? Whilst they can only believe in the Lord as their savior, and then they are the righteousness of God, and then... They are the seed of Abraham. So the Jews particularly didn't like this message. Gentiles had no problem receiving this message because they were so much aware of their, we've been oppressed, we've been suppressed, um, we are outcasts. They were so much aware of that. So this news to them felt like, wow, inclusion, that is great news. Because the Gentiles knew that these people are the chosen race of God. They knew that. So... Uh, let us corroborate the scripture in Romans chapter 4 with two scriptures. I want us to look at the scripture in Psalm 105. So Paul, Paul is making a case. You are the seed of Abraham, not by law. You didn't have to observe the righteous requirements of the law 
to become the seed of Abraham. One. Number two, you didn't have to observe the righteous requirements of the law to be justified. That's not high. You are justified by faith in Christ Jesus and you become, you became the seed of Abraham by one man's faith. Righteousness through faith, not righteousness through the law. So Psalm 105 verse 37 to 45. Look at something here. In fact, it would be very good to read the whole Psalm 105. It, it gives context. That's where you will see the scripture, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. It's not a pastoral scripture anyway. That scripture is talking about Israel. Okay, in context. Everything there has talking about God's faithfulness in delivering Israel out of the captivity of Egypt. That's the whole 45 verses. Israel were anointed and out of the chosen race where some people call prophets, God is saying, touch not, because they were in captivity. They were in captivity under the harsh captivity, under the cruel whiplash of Pharaoh. And, Paul, and, 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 and God spoke through Moses, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. In fact, this particular psalm was written by Moses. It wasn't written by David. You know, out of the 150 psalms, David wrote 73 of them. And there were many other authors. So David didn't write all the 150 chapters. Some of the psalms too were credited to Moses. And this particular one was written by Moses. I think Moses was at a point whereby he was reflecting about the faithfulness of God and he decided to pen this um, one. Amen. So let's read just the, eight, the last eight verses. He also brought them out with silver and gold. I, did I tell you the verse? Psalm 105, verse 37 to 45. Psalm 105, verse 37 to 45. He also brought them out with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among his tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed. Wow. They are enemies. These were people who oppressed them. Once they left, they were very happy. For the fear of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. The people asked and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened a rock and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. Verse 42. Take note of that. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. He brought out his people with joy. His chosen ones. Can you believe they are called chosen ones? Did these people know God? Did they serve God? Did they know the Bible? Did they observe the commandments? But, but Moses is saying that these people were chosen. Why are they chosen? Are they chosen because of some law keeping, whatever? With, what were they doing? These people worshipped Egyptian gods. They didn't merit God's deliverance. If it was under the law, they wouldn't merit God's deliverance. That's why Gentile nations suffered. Because they went after other gods. 
by the dispensation in which they were in, merited God's favor because of one man's faith. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles, and they inherited the labors of the nations that they might observe his time. So God blessed them. God gave them silver and gold. God gave them deliverance from a very long-standing oppression. And why did God do this? So that they might observe his statutes, keep his laws. Praise the Lord. So before there was anything called laws, before there was anything called statutes, Israel was seen as God's chosen one. Israel were seen as God's people. So you see that they, they didn't observe some righteous requirements to inherit that privileged status. It was based on one man's faith. According to Genesis chapter 15, we just read that Abraham believed God that he will be the father of many nations, that he will receive an heir that will come out of his own body and not Eliezer. And the Bible says that it was credited to Abraham's account for righteousness. So Paul now is standing on that saying that you don't become a seed of Abraham by the law because your father, the promise that he received that he was going to become the heir of the world, he didn't receive that through the law. He didn't receive that because he had to observe the righteous requirements of the law. He just received that through faith. Likewise, in, in, that's in Paul's time, if you just believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you are imputed upon the gift of righteousness and that what, that's what makes you the seed of Abraham, not observing the, the law. Because Paul, Paul was trying to say that if we, if we want to be righteous through the law, you can't. Because the law, one, it brings wrath. Number two, it brings transgression. I wouldn't want to belabor the law because if you really want to go into this, you have to read the whole book of Galatians because Galatians does a very good job in explaining why the law came, especially if you read chapter two. If you read chapter two right up to chapter four, you will see chap- chapters two to four, you will see the reason why the law was brought. The law was brought not to make us righteous. The law was brought so that we will be aware of our sin. And we will be aware that we need a savior. The law was our schoolmaster. I like that word. I like that King James Version. Other versions uses the word um, tutor. The law was our schoolmaster. Taught us that we were sinners. When we broke the law, it made us know that we have transgressed. And the Bible says something that once you are under faith, you don't need a tutor. You don't need that schoolmaster. Amen. So, these people who were known as the Jews, who were otherwise known as the descendants of Abraham, we have learned from Psalm 105, verse 37 that they were given certain privileges not because of the law, but by the faith of Abraham. Do you know what I learned from this? One man's faith made it possible for a whole race to experience generational blessings and favor. That's powerful. One man's faith. 
it caused a whole race, a whole creed, a whole nation that was yet to be formed to experience generational blessings and favor. So Paul is saying, if you have, if you have inherited this privileged status through the law, faith is void and the promise is of no effect. Now, with that said, let's look at another scripture. Because now, if I talk about Psalm 105, we have to look at Exodus chapter 3 and then trace how the Israelites experience redemption, which is a foreshadow of the New Testament redemption. So go with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse 6 to 10. Exodus chapter 3. Verse 6 to 10. And I read, Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. Can you believe that God called the Israelites, my people? Did these people even know God? Did they even know God? Think about it. Did they know God? Did they have an idea of who God was? They, only, they didn't even know God as Jehovah. They knew him as I am that I am. That's all. Because that was what Moses said. He said... When I go, even Moses even didn't know God. He said, when I go, what shall I say? Who sent me? He said, say that I am that I am have sent you. So the, so the Israelites who were under Egyptian oppression for 430 years, they only knew God as I am that I am. Yet God said, these are my people. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. You see, God heard their cry. And they were not Christians. Why? Because of one man. I am the God of Abraham. And it is through Abraham that Isaac came. It is through Isaac that Jacob came. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have surely seen the oppression of my people. And I've heard their cry. These people were they even praying to them? Was were they even praying to God? I'm sure the Israelites under Egypt had some form of religion, because Egypt Egypt had gods. Egypt was steeped in sorcery. I'm sure they worship other gods. They worship Egyptian gods. They didn't pray to God. How how would they even know how to pray to God when they don't know God? But God says that I have heard their cry. For I know their sorrows. These people, did they even pray to God? But God says, I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So, two times in this scripture, God called the Israelites my people. They didn't know him and they didn't have the law by then. 
And that's what Apostle Paul is saying. You have experienced certain privileges because your father Abraham was justified and not just justified by faith, he also received the promise by faith. Do you understand? So, are you aware that certain members of your family can enjoy certain blessings because it is generational? So, for me, that's what I learned. The small thing I learned because it's generational. God can bless your household because of your faith in God. Now, it doesn't mean they will go to heaven because they still have to make that conscious decision and receive Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior. But because of your faith, you being declared righteous, sometimes that privilege and that blessing, it even extends to other members of your family. So that's what I learned here. So be very encouraged. Everything that you are doing for the Lord is transgenerational. And it will live as a posterity if crisis comes in tarries. Amen. I'll give you a typical example. How many of you have heard of Rick Warren? Rick Warren is the pastor of Saddleback Church. You know, it's said that one of the most difficult places to plant a church is California. You know, and especially Saddleback, which is in Orange County. You know, Orange County is a very rich place, very posh place in, in California. And, and Rick Warren has a very mega church. He's grown a church beyond epic proportions there. And one time, this was a missionary who said this. It's a missionary who gave this testimony. He said one time he was praying. And he realized that God had not sent him to California. So he had to move to where God had sent him and the church worked. But whilst he was praying, he said, Lord, I want a church like Rick Warren. <laughs> and the Lord told him that Rick is blessed because he's experiencing generational blessing. So I think one day he, 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 he managed to have an audience with Rick Warren and he asked him like, you know, I was praying about you and the Lord says that you are enjoying generational blessing. Then Rick Warren said his great grandfather was a missionary. His grandfather was a missionary. His father was a pastor and he is a pastor. So this is four generations of pastors. You understand? So, Rick Warren now is perhaps, perhaps, experiencing the fruit of the labor and God blessing the work of his hands and whatever he's doing over there in Saddleback in Orange County because it's generational. So, that, that's what I'm trying to say. These Israelites experienced generational blessing, generational favor, generational privilege status, not because they kept the law, but because one man believed by faith that what God has said he was able to bring it to pass that's all so Paul is trying to make a case here that look at your father he was justified by faith and number two he received the promise that God gave to him by faith he didn't receive the promise because he did some good works or observe the righteous requirements of the law. Amen. So that is Christianity. And that's why we are called the seed of Abraham. So 
what can we learn from this? We are justified by faith. And the promises that God has given to us to inherit, we also have to inherit them by faith, not by the righteous requirements of the law, because we have been delivered from the law. Because the Bible lets us know that if you want to do it by the law, mind you, the law brings wrath, and number two, the law brings transgression. Well, let me, let me just even open the scripture. This scripture just popped. James chapter 2, verse 10. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. This is one of the reasons why nobody in the Bible was able to observe the righteous requirements of the law to achieve righteousness. Not one. The closest guy was the guy in Luke chapter 10. He said, oh Lord, I've obeyed everything, everything, everything. I've observed the commandments from, from since I was a youth or I was a child. The Lord said, one thing you lack. You see? And the Bible says that when you break one, broken everything no no one could become righteous and that is why we celebrated Easter Christ died so that the high price of righteousness could be attained by believing in God and not just that if you also want to appropriate promises and certain blessings and privileges upon your life access it through faith Amen. And that is why the just shall live by faith. Amen. All right, let's continue then. Verse 16 to 18 of Romans chapter 4. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. You see, all the seed, not only to those who are of the law. You get it? But also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So Abraham's promise of being a father to many nations is not just to Israel. We are the seed of Abraham. And we learned about that last week, even on Sunday in regards to talking about the blood as a great unifier, I'm sorry. So two things we should know about God here. One, he gives life to the dead. And two, he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is exclusively God. There's no man. Man can't do this. 
A man cannot give life to the dead, no matter how anointed you are. A man cannot call those things which do not exist as though they, you can't. No one can do these things except God be with him. So that's one thing we have to know about God. Now, I don't know whether Abraham knew this about God. But the Bible says that he believed God who gives life to the dead. So I don't know if that's Apostle Paul that is putting that there as emphasis or this was Abraham's mindset. But he believed God. And Paul is saying it is this God that is able to give life to the dead and call those things which do not exist as though they exist. So Abraham's faith is credited here. That the reason why Jews, you have this privileged status. And the reason that why now the Gentiles who have also received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior also have the privileged status of being the seed of Abraham is because of Abraham's faith. He hoped against hope. That's belief. And now when we read the later verses, we will understand the meaning of the verse, he hoped against hope. Look at it. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. Now, it didn't say the body was dead. It says it's already dead. Right? And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform and therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, Abraham wasn't weak in faith because he did not consider his own body dead. It was already dead. When, when God met Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old. The body was already dead. He didn't consider his body dead. Two, he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah's womb was dead. And that's why he had to hope against hope. It's a huge battle. And not just that, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But when you read your Bible, <laughs> when God told Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15, that he will be a father of many nations. Chapter 16, he slept with Hagar. Correct? But yet, Romans is telling us that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. So, what does it mean to waver at the promise of God? To waver at the promise of God doesn't mean Flawless perfection. Do you understand? Because then, like I would say, Apostle Paul, you are lying. Because Genesis chapter 15, when you read chapter 16, Abraham gave birth. He slept with Hagar. That's their maid and gave birth to Ishmael. So, isn't that Abraham wavering at the promise? But here, Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit of the Lord, says that Abraham did not waver at the promise through unbelief. 
So it makes me know that when we talk about wavering at the promise of God, it's not flawless perfection. It's not flawless perfection. So some way, somehow, I believe Abraham realized his mistake. But he kept on keeping on. Believing he is the righteousness of God. And God has made him the candidate for the blessing. So when we are talking about wavering, it is not about that one instance of doubt. It's about the perpetual series of doubts that go unchecked and they are gone, not dealt with. That is what is wavering at the promise of God. Because when we look at wavering at the promise of God in this scripture, Abraham wavered. Because why is it that when Sarah suggested, go and sleep with my, my, my handmaiden because I'm not able to give birth. Why did Abraham do it? That's wavering. That's chapter 16. He wavered. But like I'm saying, when we talk about wavering at the promise of God, it's not necessarily flawless perfection. It is a series of doubtful events that go unchecked that will affect you. So, Abraham, we realized that he wasn't perfect. Yes, he believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness in chapter 15. But when you read chapter 16, he doubted. But I think what helped Abraham become the father of faith was he didn't allow those series of doubts to go unchecked. That's what it means, wavering at the promise. So, wavering at the promise doesn't have to necessarily do with one instance of a doubt, it has to do with repeatedly fighting doubts until the manifestation of the promise of God. But when we read here, the Bible said about he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So Abraham was strengthened in faith by giving glory to God. He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform, even though he had made a mistake. So when we are talking about wavering at the promise of God, you might, you might make a mistake, but don't let that moment of mistake define you. Deal with that doubt. And make sure it doesn't retrogress into a series of doubts that will not go unchecked. Because when it comes to that, then you are wavering at the promise of God. That's unbelief. But the Bible lets us know that Abraham was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. See, he was fully convinced. And probably, maybe after the episode of after the episode with Hagar, maybe he came to a place where he became fully convinced and dealt with his doubts, and that's why he was able to give it. And that is why it is because of one man's faith. All of us, the Gentile region, the Jewish people, we are the seed of Abraham, because it was accounted to him for righteousness, unbelief. Abraham was justified by faith. 
Abraham received the promise that he will become the father of many nations too by faith. And Paul is bringing his case to a close that therefore being justified the state of being declared righteous is by faith. And that's why Paul takes his time to go into the history like this. Amen. So now Let's read verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Now, that it there stands for righteousness. So now, this was not written for Abraham's sake that righteousness will be imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Christ or in God who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So why did Paul talk about this? He's talking about this just to let us know that for us to become righteous. So everything that Paul has taken us through, it might seem like a rabbit trail, but everything that Paul has taken us through is just to establish the fact that one is made righteous by faith. And Paul had to look at two aspects of Abraham's life. One, the aspect of him being declared righteous. He was declared righteous by faith. Number two, the aspect of him receiving the promise of God that has now granted and afforded the Jews certain privileges for them to be called the children of Israel, for them even to be called my people was also by faith. Not by the works of the law. And Paul now ends verse 23 that all this is written so that when we believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and he resurrected. Just Sunday we we celebrated that for our justification. When we do that, we have experienced the power and the effect of the gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, which has power to anyone that believes, to the Jews first and to the Greeks first. For in this gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. So that's the gospel. So Paul here has just summed up the whole gospel by looking at the father of Jews in Abraham. So how are we declared righteous? We are declared righteous not by observing the righteous requirements of the law. Because according to what we read today, that observing the law will not make you righteous because of two things it will give to us. It will bring us wrath. It will bring us transgression. And why will it bring us wrath? It will bring us wrath in the case that when you sin, you pay. But the gospel lets us know that Christ was the penalty for our sin. That's why we don't have to suffer wrath. And then if you break one law, you have broken everything. Nobody from Genesis right up to John, nobody could observe the righteous requirements of the law. That's why Jesus had to die. And that is the central theme of the gospel. So as Christians, if we are going to send the gospel out, there's a message to all of us. Let us try not to 
um, what word do I want to use? Forbid people. Forbid people. Because Jesus once said that. Let us not try to forbid people from coming into the kingdom. No one becomes saved by the righteous requirements of the law. You become saved by faith in Christ Jesus. So that's the topic of justification by faith. Amen. So now, chapter 5. Paul is now going to explain more, especially on the effects of the law and the effect of righteousness, especially from verse 12 going. Amen. So we are going to look at chapter 5 next week. So we are done for today. Amen. So chapter 4, Paul has taken us on a journey to answer two parts. Was Abraham declared righteous by faith or through the law? We realized he was justified by faith. We did that last week. Today we are looking at, was Abraham's promise that he will be the father of many nations? Was it given to him through faith or by observing the righteous requirements of the law? We realized it, it was through faith. And that was what merited deliverance. For the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. They didn't even know God. Yet God called them my people. Why? Because of one man's faith. I'm done for tonight. Who has any questions? All contribution. Is it clear? Was it clear tonight? Did we all understand? If you understand, give me a thumbs up and let me know. So according to the thumbs up, only one person understood. Okay, two. I have a question. All right. Um, okay, so... Is it is it uh, possible when uh, we're talking about uh, Sarah, Hagar, and uh, Abraham that um, Abraham just maybe complied to Sarah's request? Well, you could look at that too. But when you are looking at Romans chapter 4, the Bible says that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But when you look at chapter 16, he wavered. Because to me, wavering means being resolute. Being resolute and being fully convinced. So it makes makes me understand that one mistake or one moment of doubt doesn't necessarily nullify the promise of God concerning your life. It is a series of repeated instances of doubt and not believing that will perhaps affect how you as access and appropriate the promise of God over your life. So just one instance shouldn't nullify that. So what, what, what I learned from this story is that 
when we make a mistake, especially when it comes to believing God for a promise, we should repent of it quickly and keep on moving on. And believe that we have been declared righteous. That's also very important. Because if you have sin consciousness, it ain't gonna work. And, and right here, I don't see Abraham. If you read Abraham's story from Genesis chapter 12 to probably chapter 24, the 12 chapters are devoted to Abraham. I don't see Abraham really doubting that God is not with him. God doesn't love him. I think once he realizes the mistake, he just repents and moves on. And, and because of his faith, we have the father of all race. So whether we want to say he complied to Sarah or he walked in doubts, what I'm trying to say is that he's still with it. When I look I, at no, it in I, the bigger picture. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I, I see that too. Yeah. I do see that also because in, in our compliance, then I guess that, that also adds to it, right? So if we comply to somebody's doubts, we're also sharing in their doubt, correct? Yeah. Right, because then why will we? Why else will we comply? Why else will we comply? Yeah. If we know, if we, we if we truly know better. Yeah. Um. The other thing I was gonna say, because that's what I'm hearing from you, and I, I mean, I, I know, I know that, right? Um. When we deal with doubt. I think that we could get so overwhelmed sometimes depending on certain situations and seasons that we're in in life um, that we get so bogged down that we can't see our own faith in the moment. But um, can we say that if we know that we are doubting and we're wanting to deal with it with God and even if we want to be held accountable at somebody, that's fine. Uh, but if we're dealing it with God, can we still say we are believing because we know that we are doubting? Does that make sense? No. No. So, um, okay. The, the, the one that, um, what's this? Uh, Try to get the story straight. Oh Lord. Right now. Uh, the, I think it was, it the was it a father and the son? I'm trying to remember, but where he told, uh, Jesus help my unbelief. In those moments, that's what I'm saying. In those moments where we know we are doubting and we want to deal with our doubt, can we still be considered in faith in a sense? Because yeah. we are believing God. Yeah, we yeah. can still believe God for that. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying yeah. to Because that means you, you have... Um, an awareness that you have doubts and you are prepared to work on it. That is still working by faith. So when we say that you don't waver at the promise of God, it's not one moment of doubt. It is doubts in your life going unchecked. That's what I want us to understand here tonight. Now when we talk about wavering, not wavering at the promise of God. It has nothing to do with flawless perfection. Because chapter 16, I would say that Abraham wavered. But he didn't allow those series of perhaps those actions 
to go unchecked. And perhaps he also strengthened himself that I am the righteousness of God. And that is something that we can take from him. And that's why Apostle Paul is also pointing to the Jews. That if you want to experience justification, if you want to experience any promise for that matter, using Abraham as a case study, faith. Amen. Okay. A minute more. One last question and then we will close. All right, it looks like we are all clear then. Who can sum up what we've learned today in the next minute? And then we wrap it up, we wrap it up for tonight. One person should sum up what we've learned tonight and wrap up for tonight. Righteousness is not based on following the law, but rather what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. And our wavering of his promises or our faith is also not based upon whether we miss one time or not, but that we continue to believe in his promise and his works that he has done. Amen. All right. Next week, we start chapter five. Father, thank you for what we've had tonight. We pray that may we be strengthened and be fully convinced about what you are able to do in our lives. Knowing that you are the one that gives life to the dead and that calls those things as though they do not exist. We thank you that as we've learned of this, Lord, we want to thank you for imputing upon us the gift of righteousness. We pray that may we not be shaking that but may we be resolute, just like our father Abraham. Amen. Okay. Uh, camp. The camp meeting is still ongoing. So please, if you want to register, see Pastor Roberts. Amen. So right now, the triple rooms are gone. We, we are trying left with only one room now. So it's $95 per person. That's double occupancy. And that's cheap because church, we've already paid half of it. Amen. So it's $95 per person, 28th to 30th. So please, if you want to attend or want to register your interest, see Pastor Robert. Amen. And let me put his number out. His number is 919-869-9379. Amen. And uh, for information, I, I think now we'll just usually just one Zoom account, okay? Just the midweek. We'll use that for Sunday service and everything. So don't bother logging on Sunday. So this account, just log it in for Sunday service, Saturday prayer, prayer meeting and all that stuff. I realize that it will be easier that way than having different access codes. Amen. So please, let's all remember that. Amen. And... Uh, I want us to pray for mom. Amen. She's traveling on Friday. 
We want to pray God's grace upon her, God's blessing, and God's protection upon her life. Let's begin to pray for her. Let's open our mouths and pray. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We thank you for traveling mercies. We give you, we give you honor that she will go and she will come back in peace. We bless your holy name that your pavilion of protection will be around her. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Pastor Roberts, can you please pray for us? Pray for mom. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to meet today. Thank you, Shane. We thank you for the understanding that you have given us today in your word. We pray that we'll be able to walk in this revelation. We pray for Mom of God, even as she travels, we are acting for traveling mercies. Father, we pray that you give your angels charge of our hair in the name of Jesus. We come against every plans of the enemy in the mighty Jesus. We pray that you carry her on the wings of angel and bring her back to peace. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray with us. Amen. All right, ma'am, traveling mercies. Go and come Thank back you. in peace. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Amen. All right, good night, guys. See you on Sunday. Okay. Same access code, okay? Don't forget. Same access code.